You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Today's episode is brought to you by Northern Rockies Adventures, premium fly fishing trips in the heart of the BC Rockies. Premium all-inclusive fishing packages from Vancouver, BC. Daily fly-in fishing trips to get you straight to the action, and the lodges offer private cabins and the utmost comfort. Learn more about this exclusive BC fishing trip at nradventures.com slash wetflyswing. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Lucas? Good. How are you, Dave? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on here today. I, I always love doing uh, some episodes on AFTA and some of the events you guys have going because um, I think I think it's an important part of the fly fishing industry. I think there's been a lot of changes. You know, we've obviously had COVID. Uh, you know, the last few years, things like that. But um, I want to get a little background on AFTA, the upcoming events you have going. Um, but take us back into fishing. I, I want to start there real quick on how you got into fly fishing. What was your first memory in fly fishing? Yeah. So, um, you know, being from Louisiana, I have a little bit different experience than most in the sense that it wasn't something that I was born into. Um, my parents moved to Missouri when I was about uh, 10 years old. And when I was about 12, my grandmother gave me um, just like a Walmart fly fishing special. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, so I just, you know, there was no YouTube or anything at the time. And so I just started to play around with it, started catching panfish and bass using it. And, um, you know, that really kind of struck a chord with me. Fishing has always been a big part of my life. And so that was kind of a natural, you know, just fit in the sense that I really enjoyed fishing and that was challenging and something different. And so it, it intrigued me. And so I played around with it in my sort of adolescent, you know, teen years and then moved away to college and put it down for a while and then really got back into it when I was about 24 and caught my first redfish on fly mm. uh, here in Louisiana. And the rest is absolute history from there. I went as far as becoming a, a guide for 11 years huh. and, um, you know, so enjoyed enjoyed my time on the back of a skiff taking mm -hmm. people redfishing for, for 11 years. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, redfish is definitely one of those big species that's out there. Uh, what, what does that look like in your where you're fishing maybe originally or just uh, in Louisiana? Are there if somebody wanted to do that trip, is there a, is that a, something somebody can DIY pretty good or do you have to have, you know, kind of a guide, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, Louisiana is an intricate, you know, maze of of all things marsh. And so DIY is not really possible yeah. just because there's no waiting opportunity. There's not really a great, you know, sort of bank fishery. And so right. having a boat, having the knowledge to get around safely is something that is pretty difficult unless you're experienced. And so, you know, folks come down with their skiffs and 
and fish from other places, but it's definitely a lot easier and you shorten the learning curve significantly if you take out, you know, with a guide. Yeah. How do you do it? You know, since you work for AFTA and you uh, represent or, you're, you know, you're working with all these different brands. If somebody said, hey, who would you recommend we go with to look at a lodge or a guide down for redfish? Did you do you answer that question or do you say, hey, I can't really answer because I've kind of support everybody? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do my best to be unbiased, um, you know, but I also was an Orvis endorsed guide for oh, cool. for eight years and was the Orvis endorsed guide of the year in oh, 2017. Wow. So, um, you know, for me, it was it was an easy choice in those days, obviously. But, you know, now I try to tell people to, you know, do your research and, you know, ask friends for sure, because, you know, word of mouth is definitely the best way to figure out who is doing what and where. And, you know, when it comes to a guide or, or anything, it's really about personal choice and, you know, personalities are going to be different and people are going to get along better. So, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, and I'm giving you like the most politician answer ever, but I will say that research prior to a trip is probably the least utilized oh, right. sort of, you know, benefit that we have in the world of guiding and lodges and, you know, asking the right questions is really important. And so, I encourage people to to call and talk and and you know anybody who's worth their weight and salt will give you the time to answer those questions and make you feel comfortable because it is a big decision you're spending a lot of money so you know same thing with gear yeah same thing exactly so what would be if you were and we're starting to do um, trying to build our travel program a little bit with listeners of the podcast and you know and that's been going pretty well but there's lots of questions so what would be the questions you're planning you got this trip coming up what are the few questions you need to ask your guide your lodge before you get there yeah i mean you know one is, is discuss skill level you know where you're at as an angler you know what you're hoping to achieve and if that's realistic or not i mean that's the biggest question is expectations are really something you can control before a trip. And so understanding, you know, what, what you can expect in the fishery, what is a, you know, what is your skill level determine how well you're going to do and what can you practice before you come? I mean, those are really important components. And then also understanding what a day of fishing looks like, you know, am I on a boat? Am I waiting? Am I, um, you know, what do I, what do I need to be prepared for? Is it a hundred degrees? Is it cold? Is it, you know, it's going to rain. And so understanding what gear you need to have beyond just the rod and reel, and then understanding what you can expect from your skill level and how you can improve before you get there. I mean, I think those are the, those are the most important things to ask. Amazing. Those are awesome. I'm glad we dug into the, to this uh, here. So yeah, obviously Lucas, you're a wealth of knowledge here. This is uh, already starting off great. And um, so I want to, uh, you know, I can't leave the, the guide of the year. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I, I think that I, I could, I could get you on a spot just by doing that. So you were the guide of the year in 2017. Were you working for a lodge or was this just on your own? No, I was an independent guide. Oh, wow. Uh, from, yep. From day one, I had my own business in here in Louisiana and you know, it was something that I set out to do when I became Orvis endorsed. It was important to me. And so, you know, I really tried to make sure that I was a, a pillar in the community. I, I have a nonprofit here in Louisiana that I started that does uh, coastal restoration work with kids from the community. Mm. And um, on top of that, you know, I made sure that everybody left a review. And so the year that I won, I had 131 five-star reviews, wow. I think, or something. So Gotcha. We've heard that before from some Orvis endorsed lodges that have been on where like, that's part of it. You got to be proactive. You can't just sit back and expect people are going to do all this, leave reviews, right? You got to actually take some action there to, to become. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and you know, it's important because again, you know, when people are looking for 
a guide or looking for a lodge, you know, they're, they're really going to have to look through those reviews in order to make a decision. And that's really people's first touch point. So you know, as a business owner or, you know, someone who's part of a, a, an outfitter service, it's important that your name is out there in that capacity, because that's really the first, the first impression that a lot of people get, and it's what they trust. And so encouraging people who had a good time to give an honest review is probably the most important thing you can do as a business owner right now, because that's what people utilize to make every decision that they make. Yeah, that's the the crazy thing about it a little bit too, right? Is that sometimes you might even have some, maybe some people that aren't uh, satisfied for whatever reason, maybe they're, uh, you know, they're just, uh, you know, all sorts of things, but you could get a one-star review, right? Like, well, what is that when you think of the different, how, how would a business deal with that? Let's say, and it could be just a fake review too, that sort of thing. What's your advice there if somebody gets a, like a bad review on there? Well, I mean, typically, if you're um, if you're in contact with the person during the day and you kind of get a feel for how their how their day went or the experience they had, you would hope that you understand that that's a possibility. And so, I would say that you'd want to have a conversation up front after the trip before that review happens in order to you know sort of understand and potentially satiate the the issues that they had. Uh, if not, then, you know, I would definitely encourage someone to contact that person after the fact, try to discuss with them what the what the reasons were. And if they're comfortable with you, you know, kind of putting up a, a bit of a rebuttal to to that specific review, because, you know, sometimes people again, and a lot of this can be managed prior to, <laughs> yep. you know, people come in with unrealistic expectations right. or there was some miscommunication there. And, and, and look, sometimes things happen. I mean, sure. After 11 years of guiding, I had a couple of trips that were real whoppers. I mean, but, but, you know, you do what you can in order to try and make sure that people are happy. And, and sometimes it doesn't work. And, you know, I, I think this is important too when you talk about reviews is that, you know, statistically, you always throw out the outliers, right? Yeah, so that's right. if you get someone who's like your cousin who wrote the right. most glowing <laughs> review ever, yeah. you know, or you get someone who, you know, just has got a grudge, then, as someone who's utilizing those reviews to make a decision, I would throw those out. Yeah. And, you know, look at what the majority of those reviews are. Now, if the majority are ones, well, right. <laughs> then, not good. then you, uh, yeah, maybe not. But, um, and having dealt with people, you know, reviewing or critiquing your work for as long as I did, you also realize that some people are just that way. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're, they're angry. They, they just want to, right. want to be mean or, you know, want to be hurtful. And so, you're going to have that. Yeah, I was lucky to never have anything like that. I did have a fake review one time of someone who, you know, put up a review and then Orvis actually tried to contact them and they never responded. And so after the 30 day waiting period, they took it down. But um, but yeah, so anyway, it, you know, if you have if you have Google and others that, you know, you can understand kind of a process that you could go through to again to dispute or, you know, kind of rebuke some of those things. But anyway. Talked a lot about reviews. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so yeah. So on the reviews, um, so, th so that's a good tip. And I always go to my um, my three star tip. You know, where you, you, you this could be Amazon or wherever you're buying on. You know, doesn't matter. But look at the three star reviews over the one star, right? Because those are the ones that actually people took time, and they're probably more in the middle. 
sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, good. Well, let's hear about after, because I think, um, this is, a, I mean, an event that is really important. You know I mean? I've been to it. I've made some of my best connections at after, and I want to hear, and I know there's been some changes over the years, um, from what you have going. So maybe first for people that haven't heard the episodes we've done in the past, maybe give a quick little primer on what after is and what some of your events are that are coming up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we are the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. That's what AFTA stands for. Um, we're the sole trade association in fly fishing. We represent the entire industry of fly fishing. So manufacturers, retailers, guides, outfitters, media, um, the whole gamut. And, you know, as a trade association, our our lead goal is to, you know, really try to help guide the sustainable growth of the industry of fly fishing. So we're in the business of fly fishing. And so as a trade association, we really try and, and build a community and representation on Capitol Hill. Uh, so if there's any legislation that's happening, we try to advocate for fly fishing uh, in that capacity. And anything that seems to be, you know, kind of harming fly fishing, we're out there trying to keep an eye on it and see if there's anything we can do to overturn it. And, you know, it's important to us to, to have that representation and make sure that people feel like their trade association is working for them. And so part of that you know, kind of job that we do is putting on events that bring the industry together in like a business to business fashion. So, you know, we're doing something that's not open to the public, uh, typically is going to revolve around business or education. And, you know, like you said, COVID has really thrown us some curveballs, but uh, we're, you know, forever trying to adapt to those curveballs and make sure that we're putting on something that resonates with our members. And so, you know, in the past, we've done IFTD which was the International Fly Tackle Dealer Show. Uh, this year, that has changed to Confluence. It's a very similar show, but uh, we have made some pretty dramatic changes to it. That'll be September 26th through the 28th of this year, so only a few weeks away. But um, we have uh, added an outdoor day to that event so that we can get outside, stretch our legs, get a little sunshine. Uh, we're there in Salt Lake City at the Salt Palace for two days, and then outside in Pioneer Park for one and again, it still revolves around, you know, that business to business interaction. We're going to have some pretty interesting education this year for retailers because we have um, partnered with a data collection company that's going to be getting us some real time and far more accurate census data. Uh, so basically what it does is it connects to retailers point of sale systems. It collects data, it aggregates that data and it puts it back out. Uh, for us in a report that we're going to produce twice a year. So it's going to replace our dealer survey reports that we've done in the past. And so we're unveiling that report for the first time at Confluence in a couple weeks. And then we're going to educate retailers around the information that comes out, as well as a real-time dashboard that they'll get in their store and they can use to make decisions with comparative analysis. So they're actually going to get um, comparisons to their store to the rest of the country. And so if things are happening outside of their doors that they weren't aware about before, they can now make decisions seeing what those things are across the country. Oh, wow. And on that report, uh, follow up on that a little bit. So that basically, describe that again. What is the, so what would somebody get? What would a potential fly fishing brand get out of that report that's going to be there? Yeah. So that report will be available for free for members of AFTA. And basically what it does is it looks at market trends it looks at, you know, again, comparative analytics. So if you have uh, market share within the industry, so let's say you're looking at reels. So what brands have what market share of the real market in fly fishing? Oh, wow. Or 
or rods or anything like that. And so AFTA in the past has produced a report that was based off of a dealer survey. So we would send out questions and through Southwick and Associates, we'd create this report. Well, you know, it, it had it was only as accurate as the people who would who would fill out the report and only really as accurate as their gut feeling. And a lot of times, you know, that would be, well, I sold a bunch of rods recently, so that's the one that I sell the most, you know, but this is census data. So there is no gut feeling. It's pulling directly from their point of sale system. And so it's extremely accurate in that it's not there is no human error. I mean, it is it is what you've sold. And so it just becomes a far more reliable report and something that people can make decisions off of. And I know from my experience with our members, especially the manufacturing members, when it comes to this report, you know, this is going to be invaluable. It's something that, you know, they've always really wanted to see, but no one's ever really produced it. This is the first of its kind. And then, and then, like I said, it's important too, to note that we're doing something for the retailers at the same time, because this dashboard that they're going to get access to in their store is going to take what used to only be information for their store and then give them back information that's happening in other stores around the country, but anonymously. So nobody knows whose information is whose because it's all pulled together into a to an aggregate. But yeah, this is some really exciting stuff. I mean, we we are we're at the precipice of doing something for this industry that's never been done. In fact, many verticals would love to have this kind yeah. of information. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with a company called Trackfly, who's doing it for the first time ever with fly fishing. And so um, we as after are paying for that endeavor. Mm-hmm. And so it's free to our members in a lot of cases. Wow. I love this. Yeah. I love this for a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, uh, like you said, I mean, I, I think of an example is, you know, you got a fly shop and I mean, maybe let's take that two examples. You got a fly shop, for example, and then you've got the company that makes the reel. So they could literally go in and say, okay, here's our estimated or here's our market share of like, and they can say, okay, we're, we got 10% of the market. Now we know like what we have to do to, to change things or what, what, what would be the rec- what, you know, what do they get out of this? And then how do they use that data? Yeah, exactly what you're saying. I mean, it's looking at what they have as far as that market share goes and then trying to decide, you know, based on marketing or based on, you know, what they can do to try and pull some of that share in their direction. So if they know that they have X amount of the of the market, well, then now I know that I have this much I can go out and try to get. And so it gives them a competitive advantage to try and do more. Yeah. And do more and And, see how well you're doing. I mean, like if this comes out every year now, you're like, okay, year two, now we got a little more or we're going down. You can actually see the trend. Exactly. And that's really the important part of reports like these is, is really analysis over time. Yeah. And so that's, you know, while you have like a snapshot for this year, because it's our first year, that's important. Yeah. But really looking at those trends over time are the real metrics that people are waiting to see. And, you know, at the same time, we're hoping to be able to uh, really kind of define how big the fly fishing industry is, because that's been a guess mm. from day one. You know, there hasn't really been a great way of of measuring what the size of this industry is, because so much of what is done to even look at fishing is based on license sales. And the reality is, is that there is no distinction between fly fishing licenses and, and regular fishing licenses. Yeah. So even understanding what the universe of this industry is, has never been done in a truly analytical way. And so for us to be able to provide something like that over time is really important for us as AFTA because these are the types of things that a trade association goes out and tries to get so that you as a member, you know, can, like I said, have a competitive advantage. And so 
this is a big deal. I mean, it's 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 the biggest thing I think that will what will have come out of the fly fishing industry potentially ever. I mean, I don't like to be hyperbolic, right. but I mean, <laughs> right. I think it's a big deal. I yeah. mean, it's something something that we could really see as a game changer in how people make decisions for their business. Love this. Yeah, this is great. I love that we're able to announce this because I wasn't aware of this. And so if you take this too, because I always think of, you know, we've got obviously in our listeners, people that are in the industry, definitely, you know, part of that. And I'm not even sure what percentage, you know, is right now. It's a survey. That's some data I should be getting more, but I know it's a good chunk. But there's also people that are just, you know, they're just uh, consumers, fly anglers. Like how does this, maybe this data and just after in general help the actual person who's just the person that wants to go fishing? Yeah, I think it's an important distinction to make that, you know, as a trade association, we obviously deal in the business of fly fishing. But as we make our members and the industry in general stronger, you know, it means that there's an opportunity for the industry to continue on and for the sport to grow. I mean, at the backbone of all of this is the businesses who sell, who manufacture, who who guide, you know, and so making sure that those businesses are strong and adaptive and can, you know, continually be nimble enough to make the changes that are necessary as our economy, as our ecology, all of it changes is really the important component for the consumer because a resilient and strong business means that we'll have a resilient and strong industry and a resilient and strong industry means an, an industry that supports the sport. And so, you know, we do it from the top down, but it is as important for the consumer as it is for the business. Perfect. That's awesome. And then and so maybe let's go into the the confluence, the changes. So the, you used to have the kind of the IFTD. Talk about there's been some changes in timing. There's been some changes in different things. Describe how it's different maybe from the the old IFTD when it was, I think, was it in Denver last? Denver last, yeah. So we had it in 2019 in Denver. Um, that was our, you know, sort of our largest show reported. That was the last one pre-COVID. We did have an IFTD last year in March uh, in Salt Lake City. Um, that one was smaller, uh, just in comparison, but we were also in the middle of, uh, between Delta and Omicron variants of COVID. And so that definitely, um, was something that we had to thread the needle on. And, you know, it was one of those deals where we were, you know, we were still rolling over deposits from two years prior and, you know, just a lot of stuff going on. So I told people like we had to have that show, like it wasn't about, if we wanted to or not, it was like we had to have it in order to get those deposits off the books and you really start from a fresh slate. And that was why, you know, the name change and really kind of the change in the show made sense because we were, you know, kind of ushering out the IFTD days and moving into something fresh and new. And so, yeah, the timing component of it has always been, uh, you know, a topic for debate and it will always be a topic for debate. I mean, you know, kind of giving a, a very brief history, you know, an, an IFTD or any other trade show for that matter, really used to dictate when product was released. And so dealers, retailers would go to those shows to write orders and see the product for the first time. Well, as product release changes and soft goods versus hard goods, you know, all that stuff changed. And so the show then it was like trying to figure out what that perfect timing was. But everybody was releasing product at a different time. So there was no perfect time. And so, you know, we look at a pivotal shift in the show going from IFT to Confluence and saying, OK, we understand that bringing the industry together is important. And we all agree that we need to try and talk to each other, especially post COVID, you know, as we all got really kind of separated from each other and isolated. And so having these sort of large 
sort of industry-wide conversations is important. And AFTA is the only organization that can bring people together in that capacity. And so we knew that that was the important part. And so that was the premise that we worked off of. And then, you know, some people still want to show product. And so we wanted to make sure that there was a product component, which there is, but also that, you know, education becomes extremely important. And especially again, post COVID, you know, the world is changing around us. And so anything we can do to help people, you know, be ready for those changes is, is something that we are really supposed to do. And so we have incorporated a lot more education into Confluence this year, uh, all of it, you know, really for the dealers surrounding this great information that's coming out from TrackFly. And so this is an opportunity for them to get really thousands of dollars worth of education and consulting for free. You know, all they have to do is come to the show. And so, you know, that's a huge pivot that we've made. And, and it's like almost taking an industry summit like we did uh, last year in Charleston and and putting it together with, uh, you know, a trade event. And so a lot more focus on education. Um, we're actually opening the show a little bit later both days in order to allow manufacturers to be part of that conversation. So in the past, you know, manufacturers would go to their booth and then they would be stuck in their booth for the whole time. And so they didn't really get to be part of the conversation in that capacity. So we're opening the show an hour later, letting them be a part of these roundtable discussions that we'll have. And then we're going to go outside the last day. And, you know, we're also changed the cadence of the show. So it used to be um, a Thursday, Friday or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think it was. Um, and so this year it's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so that retailers can get back to their shops for the weekend. And then, like I said, that outdoor day is a, is a huge shift because it's going to allow, again, manufacturers to come out from behind the booth. It's going to give them an opportunity to to be a part of the bigger conversation. You know, I, I like to say business can happen anywhere. And so, you know, just because they're outside doesn't mean that the business part of it has to slow down. It just means that, you know, you can do it over over a cold drink. So, you know, we, we're really trying to to, you know, get out from under the sterility of the fluorescent lights of a of a trade uh, you know, show in, in that convention center and, and let that, you know, natural vitamin D rain down on us and, and uh, you know, hopefully enhance the experience. Nice. And, and so that outdoor component, so what will that be? Just, just kind of mingling and, and chatting or will there be events? Yeah, we're going to have food trucks there that are going to serve food. We're going to have um, Paul Puckett from over there in, in uh, South Carolina playing. Um, we're going to have casting games put on by Farbank. And so there's going to be like a whole outdoor fun you know, casting thing. Simon Gosworth is going to host that. Um, and then there's going to be some small tents that are available if we want to do some demos and stuff. So there will be an opportunity for folks to have a little bit of product out there if they wanted to demo it. And, um, you know, so it's it's sort of a, a hybridized, you know, kind of version. But uh, it's basically, a, I like to think of it as like a six hour happy hour, basically. But, uh, you know, still still conducting some business and doing some fun stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, and that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of when you're saying it, I'm thinking of like the, you know, you, you hear about some of those, you know, the spay claves around or, or whatever, fishing events where you can go meet exactly. up. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. And and this is going to be kind of outside that that area, just kind of right outside. The, I, I'm trying to think that convention area that's um, at the Salt, or no, where, where is it located? What, what? Yeah, the Salt Palace yeah, in Salt, Salt Lake Palace. City. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, a, there's two parks there close to the Salt Palace. We're going to be in Pioneer Park, okay. which is a uh, really long kind of football field shaped green space it's about a about a six minute walk from the salt palace yeah gotcha yeah that's awesome yeah and i think 
I mean, these events, I always think of them as, yeah, I mean, just the relationships, you know, you can't beat the in-person. I mean, we have with all the Zoom and all that stuff, it all works. But when you're actually face-to-face and you hang out with somebody, you know, and have a drink with them, like you just build a a lasting, right, lifetime thing. And then that's where a lot of this business stuff comes from. Do do you guys see that? Is that still the number one thing with everything you have going? Obviously, you have this data, which sounds amazing. But is it still the networking, which is what, what really this is all about? Because it is challenging. I mean, like the timing... You know, it's always like, okay, when do you do it, right? Like you said, September, March, you know, there's never going to be a good time to do this, right? Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the timing aspect of it is always going to be a debate. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, networking is definitely one of the major components. I think education and really networking in a different way too, though, I think it's important to note that we are doing, you know, networking a little differently. In the past, you know, networking literally just meant, you know, sitting down one-on-one with a retailer or you know, a buyer from a fly shop and having a conversation. Networking now, we're trying to make it more industry-wide and at the same time with each other. And so, you know, it's addressing these sort of existential crises that are happening around supply chain issues, around, you know, climate change, around all the things that are really impacting our industry and trying to come together to come up with, you know, sort of, you know, uh, everybody's input on, you know, like industry-wide solutions. And, so it's networking in the sense that, yes, that is the most important component to these shows, but it's doing it in a way that's far more collaborative. And that's something, again, that we believe AFTA can provide that sort of you know third-party neutral space to have these conversations in a way that uh, really opens people up to hopefully a much more productive conversation. And can really, you know, maybe mend some fences that has, you know, been a little bit busted up over the last couple of years around, you know, the, again, the isolation that happened due to COVID. And, you know, so that that's what we're hoping. We're hoping that we can bring people out to a spot that, you know, makes them feel comfortable. We can have these big conversations. We can come up with some solutions and then give after something to work on for the next year, you know, because that's the thing too, is that we work for the industry. And so listening to our members and getting input from them, is is as important for us as it is for everybody else. Today's episode is sponsored by Chode Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chode insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chode gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. And I have a family connection to Chode over the years back in the shop. Uh, the old shop my dad uh, carried Choda, and he wore those proudly with confidence. And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Choda, and I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Choda in 2023. I'm pretty rough in my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it. So it's good to know that the Choda gear is durable, is bomber, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, even on those long trips, and you know, if you have a blowout, it's not going to be a good situation. So I'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year. Clean, comfortable, charismatic, and ready for any situation you can throw at it. You can head over right now to Choda Outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash Choda. That's C-H-O-T-A to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. 
Right on, right. And what is the, if you just look overall, kind of big picture, you've seen all this data, like if somebody said, hey, what is the state of the industry, right? Almost like the state of the union, you know, what what is like fly fishing? How are we doing right now? I mean, obviously this, we've said it, the, the big COVID thing, all these changes, um, things are changing a lot. I mean, I talk to a lot of people who have small companies, big, medium, everything, but what do you feel is the current state? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're definitely seeing a bit of a downturn as far as, you know, how quickly we dropped from like summertime into just, you know, sort of getting into that fall time lull. Uh, You know, the numbers sort of, you know, suss that out. But what we are seeing is that the high that happened during the summer was higher than it was last year or 21. Sorry. So, you know, there there was a bit of a peak that happened that was a bit higher than 21, which was surprising. But, you know, it's also very regional in how it, it looks. I mean, some people are are feeling the heat and other people are feeling like they're doing about the same or maybe even a little better. And so, you know, it's really unfortunate that I can't give you some like, you know, insightful number right, that right. says this is where we are. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, I think people are definitely feeling a little bit of the squeeze um, like I said, consumers have slowed down because of, you know, just the uncertainty that's happening within the economy. Yeah. I think that's starting to improve, you know, just because I pay attention to the economy and politics probably more than the average person now. And so, you know, looking at what's happening with job growth and manufacturing in this country, we're starting to see things come back in a meaningful way. Inflation's down to 3%. I mean, there's a lot of things that are starting to you know, kind of trend in the right direction. Um, you know, fly fishing obviously is a, a bit more of a, you know, you know, I, like any other sport, it's going to be something that maybe the last thing to, um, you know, for people to start spending money on again. But I think there's still definitely some consumers who are out there buying. I mean, the good thing is, is that typically affluent folks, you know, don't necessarily slow down the same way that everyone else does. And so there's an opportunity for us to keep moving in the right direction. I don't think that it's doom and gloom by any means. I think that, you know, it's just a matter, again, of us coming together to have the conversations in order to figure out how we can adapt to these changes and having some form of, you know, data that tells us, you know, kind of more about what this is and less about what we think it is, will hopefully make, you know, these decisions a bit easier to make. And so, you know, that's what we can do. And that's what we're here for. Yeah, I love it. No, I love I love the data. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the joke around, you know, about just in politics and stuff like making decisions without data. I mean, that's, that's the cool thing is you guys actually have data and that's going to help you make better decisions and make all of us make better decisions. And so this well, is and the data is going to get better and better as we go too. you know, that's yeah. the thing is that the more you have the better, the better information you're getting. And right now we already have um, about almost 20% of the market based on retailers. And so, uh, you know, your average sort of report that is generated as far as like a vertical goes, you're looking at three to 5% and then they just extrapolate the rest of the data. So they basically pull from three to 5% of the total market. They say, okay, this is a big enough number to make a statistical decision. And so then they just extrapolate. Well, we already are close to 20%, which means we're already making more accurate decisions than any other vertical at this point, because we already have a larger share of the actual data that's to be collected, which means that we can make that much more accurate decisions. So that's the exciting part too, is that we actually have some really good participation and you know that success is going to begat success. So the more people who see this information and realize how important it is, the more people who will participate. 
And so then we're just going to get even more accurate as we go. Nice, nice. Okay. And so people, you know, that are listening right now, if they wanted to go get a hold of this report, they can basically just go to, how do they do that? Do they sign up or what's that look like? Yeah. So right now the report is not available until after Confluence. Um, we're we're holding on to it to debut at Confluence. Um, once it is available on our uh, website, it will be behind uh, our member uh, paywall. So you would need to be a member of AFTA and that can look different for each category. But yeah, you would just go to AFTA.org, A-F-F-T-A.org. Um, you could then sign up for a membership based on your category and then uh, you would have access to that uh, for free. Otherwise, there will be a nominal charge for anyone who doesn't want to be a member, but it will be far more significant than a membership. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, anyone who anyone who does want it can have access to it, but it is uh, something that we will uh, we will ask to pay for because it is so important. Yeah, gotcha. No, it makes sense. It's I love it. Uh, and then, are you guys still at the event? Are you still going to have like the um, people choose like winners of new products in that category? Yep. Yeah. Yep, we'll still have the new product showcase. Uh, we did do a couple tweaks to that as well. You know, eliminated some categories, uh, added a few categories here and there. You know, Kenneth Andre is our our show director is in charge of of the new product showcase. But yep, it'll still be there. We'll have people voting like we have in the past. That information will come out via press release after the show. And so uh, yeah, we'll do we'll do a new product showcase. And you know, as we continue to change this moving forward, I think. Something like the new product showcase will probably always be involved, no matter how we kind of adapt and change these shows. Um, just because I think it is a, a fun and important, you know, component to the show, uh, it may be the only way that we do product moving forward. You know, we'll see how it works out, but I do think that the new product showcase is an important component to it, and so we'll see how that works moving forward. But you know, everything at this point is is up for debate and we're, we're continuing to adapt on, you know, how we bring people together and, you know, what we see is successful. And, and so we're also going to be producing some surveys after this show to, to really try to figure out what the industry wants in a gathering. Yeah, it's exciting. No, it's exciting. I think that it sounds challenging too, because you know, what you're trying to do, bring together, you know, everybody and you got these changing, you know, with COVID and everything. But yeah, what, what do you think is going to be the hardest thing about having a successful uh, and what will be success for you guys this year at the event? You know, this year, it, you know, I think it's going to be a much smaller show. It's going to be far less attended than in the past. But, you know, everything really kind of dictates whether people are going to get out of their out of their shops or out of their their manufacturing plants, because, you know, the reality is that the economy does have a bit of a crunch time happening. And so, you know, marketing dollars are being put in other places. And, and so there are going to be some, uh, you know, some folks who have to make the hard decision not to come this year. And so we're expecting a, a smaller turnout. I mean, we're not going to be unrealistic in our expectations. And so for us, success is, you know, just putting together something that is meaningful. Uh, we're going to try our best to educate as many people as possible who show up. Uh, you know, I think that the exciting components are going to be there. It's just how many people are going to be there to experience it is really the the bottom line. And so, you know, success for us is just putting something on that's safe and exciting and, and uh, you know, coming away with, with some lessons learned on how we can move forward, having some big conversations as an industry, talking about policy priorities that we want to focus on as AFTA as another component. You know, we have our political consultant coming this year. He's going to host a roundtable with the industry. We're going to talk about, you know, what we want to see as a, you know, kind of our policy priorities. And then we'll take that back as after and we'll start to focus on those. So, you know, for us, success is getting information. It's giving information. It's educating. 
it's networking and it's having a good time. And so we'll see what that looks like when it all shakes out. But either way, we're going to continue to adapt. We're going to continue to build something better and we're going to utilize information coming from our members to do it. Love it. Love it. And what's the, talk about the fisheries fund a little bit. I, we've been, you know, we always try to hit on conservation. Is that still a high priority for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, moving to the, you know, fisheries fund and giving them a bigger role in sort of what AFTA's conservation focus looks like is it was an important step that we took a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, we brought in an executive director for that fund. We have uh, that person, Whitney Tilt is his name. Um, he's overseeing everything that happens from a conservation perspective for AFTA. So it means that, you know, as AFTA, we still have two main pillars that we want to focus on. It's trade and it's stewardship. And so I, as the executive director of AFTA, get to focus on all the trade and, and make sure that everyone's, you know, business is operating efficiently. And then uh, the fisheries fund really focuses on that conservation component. And this year we have another exciting, you know, sort of opportunity coming out at Confluence with the Fisheries Fund as we're developing a uh, sort of a, an angler's guide, you know, kind of moving into the future and, and sort of noting the existential crisis that is climate change and talking about ways that anglers can get involved in protecting our fisheries and making sure that our fisheries management regimes are really ready for, uh, you know, incorporating climate into how they how they manage our fisheries. And so, you know, climate resilience is important for us and knowing that our fisheries are experiencing issues all over and that we're seeing more extreme events one way or the other. And so the Fisheries Fund is doing a great job of putting together really a blueprint that's going to help anglers, you know, continue to be a part of of how we protect and conserve moving into the future. I mean, anglers have always been, you know, sort of at the forefront of that kind of mindset. And so helping to educate them and giving them power in order to, you know, get involved and really be a part of the solution is something that we want to do. And so the Fisheries Fund is spearheading that. And we're excited to see that um, released at uh, Confluence as well. Amazing. Yeah. So, and then the way that works is the funds come in, you guys actually promote or support other fisheries restoration, or is it more like education or a mix of everything? No, it's uh, there's like two components to the Fisheries Fund. So we have the small grants program, which is what you're talking about, where we actually get, we get money and then we uh, select... Uh, this year, we gave out around $30,000 to, um, I can't remember, it was eight or nine different programs. Um, and those are, you know, typically smaller fund, you know, sort of in the two to $5,000 range. And we try to be a part of something that helps to improve fisheries around the country. And then at the same time, we also do the education component through some of our other work, you know, this blueprint that we're talking about. Um, you know, and in many other ways, you know, where they are going to host some conservation conversations at Confluence. And then we have a number of different campaigns that we're working on that you could go to, you know, aftafisheriesfund.org and check out, uh, you know, they're really the the nonprofit part of, of what we're doing. And so there's philanthropy, there's education, you know, there's there's all of that that's happening over there around conservation. And I mean, we're a nonprofit too, but we're a trade association. So it's a little bit different. Gotcha. No, this is great. This is great. And then, and so you think, I mean, I think you've highlighted a, a number of what you're expecting that will be highlights. Anything else you want to give a shout out to uh, at the upcoming confluence? And then is, and then will there be another event too after this, after this event, like another IFTD or will it be just confluence once a year? Yeah. So we haven't really decided what that looks like in 24 yet. Uh, we're still working on it. We had a board meeting the other day and, and so that's a big topic of conversation. Uh, stay tuned. Really soon we'll have information coming out about what that looks like. Um, 
No, I think that, uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're excited for, for September 26th through 28th and bringing everyone together in, in a meaningful way, having a much larger focus on education and the excitement of, of this report and what TrackFi is producing. Uh, we're going to have some giveaways while we're there for those who sign up, pre-register for the event. And, you know, we're actually giving away um, the discounts on membership as well for retailers. So, you know, if you're a retailer and you haven't signed up, if this does come out before the show, you know, it is opportunity to, uh, to get registered and save some money on your membership as well as your, your, uh, free data and things that we give as AFTA. But yeah, no, we're, we're excited for Confluence 23. It's going to be a bit different. It's going to be, you know, exciting in its own way. And, and we're going to use it as a learning experience to move into the future. And like I said, stay tuned because uh, we're definitely making some major changes, not only to our events, but to the industry's trade association as well. I mean, we're going to focus heavily on what we're doing for our members and make sure that everyone understands the collective power that comes from having a trade association represent an industry like fly fishing. Today's episode is sponsored by Jackson Hole Fly Company. They've been designing and manufacturing fly fishing equipment and flies since 1978 in their home base in Wyoming. In 2020, they launched jhflyco.com and started selling gear directly uh, online to anglers all over the country. You can go ahead and right now and check out their huge selection of uh, rods, reels, fly lines, tools, accessories. Uh, and right now, if you go to jhflyco.com swing, you can get 25% off your first order. Just like Amazon, they'll ship everything directly to your door, saving you time and money. But unlike Amazon, you'll be supporting a great fly shop and this podcast by simply grabbing a few uh, products, maybe just a couple of flies. Check it out. There we go. Get free shipping right now. All orders over $50 and uh, get that 25% off your first order. JHflyco.com slash swing. Okay, back to the show. We're going to take it out of here in a little bit, but... um you mentioned uh, you mentioned a little bit on uh, coastal restoration, some of the work. I want to touch on that, but uh, maybe just uh, talk about your fishing. Like, what now? Are you still? Do you get out? Do you are you into a little bit of uh, everything, or what, what's your focus now? Is it still redfish? No, I I do try to get out as much as I can. You know, it still is my sanity and and an important part of my life for sure. Um, you know, I grew up fishing conventional as well. So I do some of that, you know, I don't tell anybody, but, um, you know, I still do, uh, I still do do some offshore fishing. Uh, that's something that I've been into lately and, and I'll drag a fly rod with me from time to time. But, you know, I've been doing a lot of bottom fishing right now, just because that's what's kind of in season here in Louisiana. But yeah, I try to get to different places when I can, you know, one of the, one of the benefits of this job is I do get to travel around the country. And so, I try to get out and do a little bit of fishing. I also try to get home to the family as quick as possible. But, right. um, you know, so uh, I love the cold stream stuff. I, I love, you know, any sort of ocean fishing that I can be a part of. So, yeah, I try to get out as much as I can just because it is an important part of my life. And I do live here right on Lake Pontchartrain, which is a, a humongous body of water here in Louisiana. And so it does make it easy for me to slip out for a few hours here and there. But yeah, fishing is still a major part of my life for sure. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, and we got uh, you know about half of our audience also conventional fishes. We do a lot of survey data when we can too, and we know that you know that's a huge part. So I think it's pretty awesome. 
Um, I guess as we as we take it out of here, let, let's go back to that guide of the year really quick because I think that's a pretty cool <laughs> highlight. I don't want to leave that one. Uh, so again, so did we cover everything? Somebody wants to up their guide game because I think the the guiding is um, it depends around the country, right? Like sometimes it's easier to get into it, but to be a good guide, what what do you think it takes to be a really to, to you know? Because I've seen this before. I think I feel like some people are just meant to be guides. But what's your take on it? Is there do you have a tip for somebody who really wants to? Yeah. yeah. Let me preface this with it's my opinion. Right. But, um, you know, it's Lucas's opinion, not Apta's opinion. Right. But it, it's, um, you know, to me, it's about being a people person. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that a good angler doesn't mean you're a good guide necessarily. Just because you can catch fish doesn't mean you can help others catch fish. I think it's important to understand that, you know, when you're a guide, you're going to be uh, a therapist. You're going to be a photographer. You're going to be a bartender. You're going to be, you know, all these things, a confidant, a friend. I mean, I made lasting relationships with folks on the boat. And so, you know, the reality of being a good guide is two things. One, a good guide is a person who can make someone happy without catching fish. I think that's extremely important. I mean, anyone can be a good guide when the fishing is good, but a great guide is somebody who, you know, has everyone smiling even whenever no one caught anything. And I think the other thing too, is just to remember not to put your expectations on someone else's trip. I think, you know, people experience things differently. And if someone catches a fish and they're excited, let them be excited. Don't be upset because you wish they'd have caught 10 fish instead of one. The reality is that it's their trip. It's their day. You know, they're paying you to guide them, not to tell them what it is that they should expect. I mean, yes, you want to do that prior to, but once the day has happened, if someone's happy, let them be happy. And so that to me is a big part of it. I see a lot of folks who get upset because, you know, maybe it didn't go the way they thought as a guide, or maybe they didn't get as many photos for Instagram as they wanted. But the reality is that this is that person's day. And if they're excited, you're excited and don't rain on their parade. So, you know, be a people person, always be nice to people, treat them like you want to be treated. I think it's important to have, you know, different speeds depending on who you're fishing with. Uh, you know, for me, I always tried to tailor make that day for that person. If they're, if they're, you know, having a great time with just some fun, light banter, then you fun, light banter. If they don't talk, you don't have to talk. If they want to be quiet, you be quiet. Yeah. You know, if they want to get rowdy, you get rowdy. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of it is that you're going to meet different people with different personalities every day. So if you're not a people person, don't be a guide right? <laughs> because you're stuck on a boat or on shore with them for eight hours. So, you know, if you're not willing to have a good time with anyone and can't meet a stranger and, and have a good time, then you are not going to enjoy guiding. I mean, that is that is the the matter of the fact of it. So people first and fish second, and uh, just make sure you treat people like you want to be treated. And, you know, if you notice that they're they're enjoying themselves, keep doing that. If you notice that they're they're shutting down and not having a good time, you know, adjust what you're doing. Yeah, good, good. No, that's, that's perfect. And so, yeah, we're not quite sure in this episode, but if it, if it goes out, if it goes, you know, drops, say, you know, November or October after this Confluence event. So looking ahead, we don't quite know what's going on, but you do know there will be another event next year, probably Confluence, right? I mean, the, the chances that that's going to continue going, is, is that the case or do you guys think? Yeah, that? I mean, it, there will definitely be something in 24. Um, it may be a bit smaller than Confluence. We haven't decided yet. It could be more of like an industry summit. Um, but we will do something in 24. There will be something that, that brings the industry together in some capacity. It may be smaller in, in, in venue. It may be in a different place of the country. So, you know, just stay tuned for that. Like I said, we're, we're in the midst of making those decisions now. The show committee is, is doing a great job of 
really looking at all of our options and seeing what we'd like to do for 24. 25 will uh, we'll definitely have uh, you know, sort of a ramping back up into something. We just we just need to make those decisions. And a lot of it depends on the surveys that we send out and really kind of learning what the people of this industry want to do. Perfect. And, and describe just the summit a little bit. What is a summit? What is the summit versus, say, doing another type of event? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's an important distinction there. So thanks for asking. You know, a summit is really more based on education. Uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with like collaboration between the industry partners and looking at, you know, differing education tracks for different categories. So we put on an industry summit in Charleston, South Carolina last year in October. And basically what we did is it was three days of individual tracks. So guides had an education track, dealers had an education track, manufacturers had an education track. And then some of that time during the day, we brought everyone back together into a single room and we talked about the big picture. So it's really a way for us to bring the industry together in a more, uh, you know, sort of intimate setting to have these sort of larger conversations as well as let them go and get educated by peers to really go back home and make better business decisions. And so it's really focused heavily on education. And we really kind of modeled it off of the dealer summits that we've done in the past that were specifically focused on dealers, but I wanted to expand it out to the entire industry. So think of it as an education conference of sorts, but with uh, with everybody instead of just one category, we brought the entire industry together. And it was much smaller. We had around 60 people total but it were you know it was it was C-suite folks from companies it was decision makers and it was a good way to really understand better how we can serve the industry and also how people could you know go back home like i said with that education to make better business decisions right right that's it yeah so basically you guys take away a lot of important uh, knowledge yourself right that's the idea you can exactly. yeah, how to do your job better basically yeah, that's what it's all about, you know, really moving forward is, you know, AFTA wants to make sure that we are serving the community appropriately. And we know that as times change, those those needs change. And so we want to make sure that we're listening and that we have our finger on the pulse of the industry to make sure that we're continuing to do the right thing. You know, we also are really trying to ramp up our communication with the industry, not only of what we're trying to accomplish and what we're doing on a day to day, but also, you know, just things that are important for the industry to know, you know, we want to be really that, uh, you know, kind of that place for people to find out that information through our newsletters. You know, we're trying to start to add in like tips and tricks and things for businesses in every one of those newsletters so that, you know, again, there's just little nuggets of information that people can take away from our communications, as well as understand what their trade association is doing and making sure that we're providing the best value that we can for the membership and, and more importantly, for the industry. Nice. Well, let's take it out of here. I always love to do the, the music podcast uh, questions. So are you a big music fan? Do you listen to a lot of music or do you listen to more podcasts? Nope. Music is 100% the most important thing that I do if I'm listening to something. Oh, good. Good, good. So give us a, do you have a type of music, a group, a, a song, anything you want to leave us with here we can add to the show notes? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I probably have one of the more eclectic, you know, sort of music uh, tastes. I can literally listen to anything. I found myself recently because I, I had a trip to Puerto Rico last year, and so I started to learn Spanish. And so I've been listening to a lot of like reggaeton or, you know, trap, you know, kind of that, uh, you know, sort of popular uh, Hispanic music. And so I've been listening to a lot of that lately. Uh, it's got a good beat, makes you tap your feet. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know? So I've, 
I've been enjoying a lot of that. I also, you know, love classic rock, which unfortunately is now Metallica and, you know, the stuff that I grew up with. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, being in school in the 90s, I unfortunately hear a lot of Nirvana and other things on the classic rock station now. So, oh, wow. So Nirvana is now classic rock. I mean, hey, you're talking about close to 40 years ago, <laughs> man. You know, so it's uh, right. Yeah, it's it's getting there. So, um, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I also at times because I have an 11 year old son, I find myself listening to, you know, popular music now, too. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The 11 year old. So he's got you. Yeah, that's the thing. Eventually they get their own tastes. Is that is that going on with your son? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. He likes to he really likes Spanish music, too. He's funny. He's he's a really bright kid. He can, he can hear a song one time and kind of sing it. And so he, uh, he's, he's always singing. He doesn't know the words in Spanish, but he knows the sounds. Huh. And so he'll, he'll, uh, kind of, uh, mimic those things. So yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's got me listening to, you know, Taylor Swift and all sorts of things. Oh, sure. Yeah. Taylor Swift. Yeah. My, my, I have a daughter that's 11 as well. And She's not quite as into the music as much, but yeah, Taylor Swift keeps coming up, right, for the kids. <laughs> I guess I should yeah. check it out and figure it out because my kids are probably going to be listening to her, right? Yeah, at some point you may have to go to a concert. Oh my gosh, know. right, that would be crazy. Okay, <laughs> nice. All right, Lucas, well, we'll send everybody out to um, afta.org and that's just uh, A-F-F-T-A dot O-R-G. Is that the right place? That is correct. Awesome, Lucas. Well, thanks for your uh, insight today. This has been definitely more than I was expecting. This has been awesome. I mean, what you guys have coming with the data, like we talked about, is going to be huge for a lot of people out here. So hopefully uh, hopefully we'll meet you again here in person and, uh, and look forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Dave. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.